Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we all have said thank you to Edge, but the time has come to ask, what is next? A very dramatic week indeed for AEW and 90,000 WrestleMania tickets sold. We've got a lot to talk about. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host, from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh my goodness, welcome to 461, 461 wonderful weeks of Not Sam Wrestling. Welcome to another episode. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about here on Not Sam Wrestling. As a matter of fact, it is going to be a loaded week. It already has been. It started loaded over the weekend. I got to catch up with some folks as well as meet a ton of fans at uh, WrestleBash. WrestleBash 2, I believe it was, which was put on by the fine folks at the Asylum Store. Uh, Great convention. Uh, If they're going to do another one, hopefully I'll be there and you'll be able to check it out. But it was a really good time. I mean, a loaded show everybody at the meet and greet from ddp to eric bischoff steph delander thunder rosa uh i it was amazing plus the new figures that they're doing were on display so much fun uh got a delivery by the way speaking of figures from ringside collectibles i got my hands on the new ultimate uso figures you can get 10 percent off at ringside collectibles by putting in promo code not sam but that's only the beginning later on this week Here on Not Sam Wrestling, on the YouTube channel, on the podcast feed, we will have a full-length interview with Brian Myers as as Impact gears up for Impact Wrestling's 1,000th show, and they do it live at the Westchester County Center. So much to talk to Brian Myers about, but that's not coming probably until Wednesday because we have so much to talk about today. For instance, Edge says goodbye on SmackDown, but what does that mean? What do you mean goodbye? Thank you, Edge is trending. All throughout SmackDown, we're seeing these incredible video packages, and I don't care if you've been a fan of of the WWE for the last 25 years that Edge has been competing in it, or if you've just started to become a fan within the last 25 weeks, you could not watch those video packages without having this incredible appreciation for everything that Edge has done and accomplished inside the WWE. I think I think the reason that Edge connects so much with so many of us fans is that we see the, the dream without him having to tell us that he's a kid who every single week for the last 25 years, save those years that he was injured, has been making his dreams come true. He doesn't have to say that every time he comes out. We can we can feel it. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can feel it. No matter what character he's portraying, no matter what version of Edge this is, there's just something about that guy that whether it's this mysterious, brooding, no pun intended character that's randomly hanging out on the New York City subways by himself for God knows what reason, or it's this guy waiting to pounce and cash in his money in the bank briefcase, or this 
this this person having live sex celebrations or 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 this this person main eventing WrestleMania with the Undertaker or 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 or, or a guy coming back from an injury we know the reason that Edge does what he does the reason he's trying to pull off the greatest wrestling match of all time only you know six or eight weeks after audiences had disappeared from wrestling with Randy Orton. The only reason he's doing any of it is because he's us. He's the biggest wrestling fan in the world. He grew up a Hogan fan, right? We've all seen the footage of him in the Toronto Sky Dome at WrestleMania 6 wearing that Hulk rules cut off Rip away tank top that none of us wanted to rip away because they were expensive. We'd have to buy another one. We saw it in the in the video packages that I talked about, that amazing footage of a young edge on a Canadian talk show. And it's no mistaking that jawline, no matter what his age is, when he's asking Bret Hart advice on becoming a professional wrestler, a WWE superstar, we're like, yeah. That's who we all were at some point in our lives. Now, many of us, especially at my age, realized long ago that, look, wrestling in a ring is not what we're all meant to do. But Edge, we, but we were all that kid once. Before that realization comes and kicks us right in the face, all of us at some point were like, I'm going to be a wrestler when I grow up. That's Edge. Every single day to this day. And, and, and I think that is what we were celebrating. And that's why when he gets in the ring now, he goes at the level that he goes. And we saw that on SmackDown. These video packages lead up to Edge's match with Sheamus, a match that uh, a week before on SmackDown, uh, Edge had said it's the, my 25th anniversary and it's going to be in Toronto. That's my town. And I want to have a match with Sheamus because I've never had a match with him before. And and we did the Celtic Warrior workout and it was great. And we're buds and we're going to just kick the ever-living you-know-what out of each other. And he was like, yeah, that's perfect. And then pretty quick after SmackDown, there were rumors. You know, at one point, Edge or Edge's trainer or whoever it was said that that date in Toronto was going to be Edge's last match. And then... As we got closer to the show, Edge did an interview promoting it. And he said, look, I don't know what the future holds. But what I can tell you is this is the last match on my WWE contract. That's what I know. And you go, whoa. And even as he's coming to the ring, Michael Cole references the fact that We've all read the rumors. We've all heard the the buzz going around, and, and we don't know what's next for Edge after this match. And the match is designed in such a way where Edge is not telling this story that's going to continue on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. The buildup is just a celebration of everything Edge has has done as a WWE superstar and everything that he's given as a WWE superstar. And... SmackDown ends with Edge getting the victory over Sheamus in an incredibly impressive match. I mean, such a fun match to watch. Two guys just giving 
absolutely everything they had, the crowd going for the ride, because we're all smart enough fans at this point to know in our heads, well, if somebody's leaving, they're supposed to lose. So I think Sheamus is going to win. But this is Edge, so I think Edge is going to win. And because of that, every single near fall counted so much. And every spear that Edge hit, and we thought it was over, we really thought it was over. And when Sheamus would avoid the spear and hit a brogue kick and he'd go to cover Edge, we really thought it was over until it was finally over. And Edge stood victorious and SmackDown ended with Edge hugging Sheamus and lifting his hand, uh, and Sheamus lifting Edge's hand in the air. Um, he then does a he does a promo after the show, which has gone all over the internet. I'm pretty sure the WWE actually posted it. That was basically saying he's going to go home, he's going to lick his wounds, and he's going to talk to his family. His family, of course, Beth and his kids. They were there in the front row. Beth was crying as Edge walked to the ring. More more fuel to the fire that this could be the last time Edge walks to the ring, embracing, you know, his daughter as, as he got in the ring and after the match. He said he's got to talk to his family about what's next. He doesn't know what's next. He said that he knows that he won't be back in front of that crowd again. And Edge has been very careful in his words describing where he's at in his career right now. I think a lot of people took that to mean he's not going to be wrestling live in Toronto again. Not saying this is his last match of his career, but saying, look, if this ain't the last one, the last one's coming soon. And there's not another date on the calendar for Toronto anytime soon. Could be that, or it could be something else that we haven't thought of yet. So, after that promo, the whole world starts to wonder, or the wrestling world anyway, what's next for Edge? What, what is this really it? And it gets very complicated with Edge, right? Because one of the options in a traditional case would be, well, Edge is probably going to go away for a while, come back for WrestleMania season, go into the Hall of Fame, and maybe have a storyline there. Edge is already in the Hall of Fame. Edge already went into the Hall of Fame when he retired the first time, when he thought he wasn't going to be able to come back from his injury. So the Hall of Fame run, is, which is almost always an option when figuring out what's that, is there going to be one last act in this career, is not an act. So where does he go? Of course, AEW comes up. You know, if his contract is over right now, right, if it's done, then... Yeah, if I'm Edge, who doesn't want to walk out in Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 people to say, hey, guess what? Edge is gone, but Adam Copeland is here, or Sexton Hardcastle, or whatever you want to call yourself in AEW, is here. And it's a possibility, right? Because I think at this point in Edge's career, everything that he's got is time that he wasn't supposed to have. And Edge's return is one of the most interesting cases in the history of WWE because not only was this a return that was never supposed to happen, but uh, what, six weeks, less, a month after he returned, all of a sudden the audiences disappear. And that whole wave of, oh my God, 
Edge is back, and I can't believe it. And the run with Randy Orton and whatever could have come next to build up towards Edge going to WrestleMania against Roman Reigns, that whole thing was performed in front of no people. How does a guy stay away for years, finally get back, and within weeks of getting back, now has to do everything that he's doing in front of nobody? And so by the time that crowds come back, we're all excited to see everybody again. But Edge being back is no longer the story that it was because we almost expect him to be back. We just watched him, right? Headline WrestleMania, it goes from returning at the Royal Rumble. There was the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, some TV, but realistically, everything goes dark. WrestleMania is in the Performance Center. We do the whole Randy Orton program in front of no people. And the next time that he's in front of an audience is WrestleMania 36 or 37. WrestleMania 37 in Tampa in front of, you know, uh, uh, whatever they did, a third of the of the stadium full and then back to the Thunderdome for a while until they finally got back to audiences. So the, all that said, everything that Edge is doing right now is time that he wasn't supposed to have. So as somebody that loves wrestling, it wouldn't shock me if Edge was just like, look, I want to taste every kind of food because my taste buds were supposed to be gone and now they're back. So while I can do everything, I want to do absolutely everything. And my buddy Christian is over there having a great time in AEW, wrestling matches again. I want to go do some matching Christian stuff. And Christian Cage versus Adam Copeland is a thing that could absolutely happen. But I don't think, you know, we all we we all can wildly speculate. And that's what we're here to do, right? As long as we don't fantasy book Randy Orton, and as long as we watch the product, we are free to wildly speculate. These are the rules of not Sam wrestling. So while I'm fine with wild speculation, that's all this is in terms of what do you, what do you, what do you think he's going to do? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask him, right? We can speculate wildly. But in the, in the nature of speculating wildly, instead of me telling you what I think Edge is going to do next, I prefer to tell you what I want Edge to do next because that's what Not Sam Wrestling is all about, isn't it? What does Sam want to happen? So, so, and I said this, I tweeted it out. Hashtag thank you, Edge. He's an incredible human being, an incredible performer. He had an incredible match, but at no point, at no point have I made a promise to not fantasy book one more angle with Edge. When you look at, at Edge's return, Edge's return, while it has been about doing new things, and we saw that with kind of what happened at the beginning of the Judgment Day, that, that, and, and that may be why the beginning of the Judgment Day didn't quite click with fans, is because it was Edge doing something completely new. And I think that save for that, most of this Edge return has been about appreciating a lot of what came before in Edge's career and expanding it into the era of wrestling that we're in now. We've gotten to see Edge try new things. We've gotten to see Edge embrace the brood character in Edge, right? Remember SummerSlam? 
played the theme song. Wow, wow, bam, 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 wow, wow, wow. Came up from the floor, fire, everything. Original sunglasses, by the way. He wore original brewed sunglasses that he painted with a marker. I know that to be the case. I think that a lot of Edge's return, we've seen that that kind of 2010 version of Edge. That, that good guy that came back at the Royal Rumble after being gone and won the thing in 2010. That version of Edge, we've seen honored in a big way. To me... The one thing that we haven't seen from Edge in this return is the return of the ultimate opportunist. There's been so much appreciation for Edge throughout this entire run that the version of Edge that was just as dastardly a villain as you could possibly fathom hasn't really reared its ugly head. I'm talking about the ultimate opportunist. I'm talking about that ultimate opportunist that evolved into the rated R superstar. And not like rated R superstar in like a fun way, bringing back the attitude era. I'm talking about rated R superstar. I will steal your girlfriend and then take your dream away from you because I want to just take everything and I'll do whatever I have to do to do that. That version of Edge we haven't seen. We've been having too much fun. We've been we've been enjoying celebrating Edge too much. And interestingly enough, if you think about it, that version of Edge, the ultimate opportunist, that grimy heel, doesn't need to have five-star matches, right? Edge may not want to deliver the type of match on a regular basis that we saw on SmackDown anymore because... That's a difficult thing to do, but guess what? Maybe we can say goodbye to matches like that. And maybe for just a little bit longer, we can just focus on telling a story. What if we got an edge that has already gotten all the adulation he needs from the fans? We've already got, we, we've got an edge that's already gotten all the appreciation. His cup is full. We've got an edge that's already proven that he can still go. You still got it. Everybody knows there's no denying it anymore. Well, now, now he's come for the spot. Now he's come for the title. Edge didn't get to win the world title. Edge came back at the Royal Rumble in 2020 wanting to win the world title. He didn't get it. He got stacked up by Roman Reigns. Edge wanted to win the World Heavyweight title. He had a whole story that he explained going into the World Heavyweight title. He didn't get it. He didn't even make the finals of the World Heavyweight Championship match at Night of Champions. And all he hears now is this guy who apparently is one of wrestling's royal families coming in here and talking about finishing the story. Cody can want to finish the story all he wants, but Edge is the one that's been trying to finish the story for the last three years. We're going on four at the Royal Rumble this year. 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, 
All he's been trying to do is finish that story. And he hasn't been able to do it. And now Cody Rhodes comes in and decides like, okay, you're done trying to finish your story. It's time to finish my story. No. Hey, forgive this quick interruption, but today's episode is brought to you by the fine folks at BetterHelp. Everybody needs advice sometimes. Therapy can be an amazing way to talk through your emotions, to get advice you need, and to grow into a better version of yourself. BetterHelp is online therapy, and it's incredible. It's so easy to get started. Just take a short quiz to get matched with a licensed therapist and get ready to have somebody who's on your team. If you need to switch therapists for any reason, you can change at any time for no additional charge, no questions asked. It's amazing how helpful it can be to just have somebody to talk to. You know, you don't always need, you're not gonna get the answers every single time. And sometimes you don't, you don't need to get those answers. You just need to express what's going on. I got this amazing outlet on this podcast to just let, let word vomit come out of my mouth. But even then, you know, I don't always know what's stressing me out. And it, and it takes conversations with professionals to help really, really narrow down exactly what it is that's got me feeling the way that I do. BetterHelp is designed to be flexible, convenient, and it's suited to your schedule. So you can have your sessions whenever and wherever it works for you. You can choose to have a video call, a phone call, or even just message with your therapist. It's totally up to you. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Sam Roberts today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sam Roberts. Betterhelp.com slash Sam Roberts. What if Edge comes in? Not to prove he can still have great matches. Not to give back to the fans. But to get for himself. I would absolutely love to see Edge come in with only one purpose, to ruin Cody Rhodes, to destroy Cody Rhodes. The idea that Cody Rhodes has become this hero of all heroes, this modern day Hogan, this superhero, the first baby face in 20 years that people actually cheer universally. Cody is who Edge wanted to be as a kid. That dream that we talked about that Edge had, he wanted to be Cody. And now Cody has come in and not only is he living out Edge's dream, but he's finishing Edge's story for himself. Edge can't have that. No. I wanna see an Edge that will stop at nothing at destroying Cody Rhodes. Because as far as Edge is concerned, if he can't have it, Cody shouldn't either. That is what I want to see from Edge. That's what I want to see Edge do next. And when you think about all that we've got with Cody Rhodes, right? The story that we're getting with Cody Rhodes now. The reason I think that the Brock Lesnar thing worked so well is it's about conquering. Cody needs to conquer before he can get to where he's going. Cody is, is not, the, what makes the Cody character work 
is that he's not having just a typical run. Cody is on an odyssey. Cody is a, is a mythological homer. Cody has to has to go on this journey that no man has gone on or will go on after. Cody could not conquer Roman Reigns. So now he has an odyssey to go on where he first had to conquer the beast and the beast admitted defeat for one of the first times in his career when he raised Cody's hand. Well, now Cody's got his hands full with the Judgment Day, but is that conquering? No, it's a good guy beating a bad guy. If Edge comes out here and he goes, I'm one of the most legendary villains of all time. He doesn't literally say that, but that's the spirit of what he's doing. And I, 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 got, all, I, I got all the appreciation. Edge is like, I got it. I got my moment. I got all the appreciation. I don't need it anymore. I'm free. I'm free of that. I don't have to worry about my legacy at all. So now I'm going to destroy yours. I didn't get what I want. You won't either. Oh, come on. Edge, if you're watching, if you're listening, just give me that. Be the titan that Cody must conquer next before he is able to get the opportunity to finish his story. And that means becoming a force that it doesn't look like Cody is going to be able to beat. That means laying out Cody. That means hurting him. That means beating him. Until Cody can finally come back. Maybe it means eliminating Cody from the Royal Rumble. Maybe it means a lot of stuff. But... I just feel like you don't have to wrestle every week if you're telling this story. You don't have to prove to people you can do five-star matches if you're telling this story. And I think it's something that all of us will be latched onto in a big, big way. It's so appealing to me. I hope it happens. I would love to see it happen. Um, speaking of storytelling, uh, over on SmackDown, you know, the LA Knight, uh, 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 story arc is such a fun, interesting thing to watch because it's all happening in real time. What happens with LA Knight? Everyone's got an opinion about LA Knight. Nobody will stop talking about LA Knight. No matter what town you go to, no matter what state you go to, no matter what country you go to, everybody is chanting LA Knight. Yeah. And it was happening again. Now, clearly they're building towards LA Knight versus The Miz. And uh, it's this inter brand rivalry. Now, I said, by the way, all the way back at the draft, I said, LA Knight needs to go over to Raw and be a babyface already. Like, start this. And now they're in this position where they've got LA Knight as a babyface and they know he should be on Raw with a fresh coat of paint. And The Miz is the perfect opponent for him. But they're on separate brands. So we got to do the interpromotional uh, uh, rivalry where the Miz shows up on commentary on SmackDown uh, because he figures, well, if Michael Cole can be on both shows, why can't he be on both shows? Which is a good call. It's a decent call from Miz Annan. 
I don't know why The Miz would have less clout in the WWE than Michael Cole. I think that's fair on The Miz's part to assume that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What I am not 100% sure about is the decision to have LA Knight uh, lose. Now, I am not of the school of thought that like people are really sitting there counting wins and losses. And I, I, I generally favor the story far above whether the person won or lost. Like to me, it doesn't make as much difference as the story. But the story with LA Knight is that he's finally hitting his stride. And we're just getting there. You know, LA Knight, uh, this whole year, really, I mean, coming out of last year and into this year, it's been, everybody's looking at this guy like, oh, he's something different. He's something special. And he loses every match. This was earlier this year. And people still are intrigued by him. And eventually people still cheer him. And he loses all the time. Going back to the Royal Rumble and the Mountain Dew match, right? And so now he's finally at this spot where he's winning. And I thought, you know, obviously winning the Battle Royal at SummerSlam is a big step. Then having his segment with The Miz on Raw. Then boom, the victory against Top Dollar. I was like, that's exactly where LA Knight should be right now. If he's going to be in a match wrestling, not just doing a promo, he should be in a match against somebody who is not going to be the most difficult person for him to beat but also has some credibility when he beats him, so it matters. What he shouldn't be doing is losing matches again. And that's what he did on, on SmackDown. Now, I was wondering when it started what the plan was because obviously LA Knight is not going to go after Rey Mysterio for the United States Championship right now. Number one, they're both baby faces. Number two, LA Knight has nothing to do with Rey Mysterio's story right now. And number three, LA Knight and The Miz are starting something. So why would we have this as well as don't put Rey Mysterio in that situation because even somebody as popular as Rey Mysterio is going to have the audience turn because they're going to want LA Knight to win that title. So it's like, obviously LA Knight's not going to beat Austin Theory and become the number one contender for the United States Championship. But also, why would Austin, LA Knight be losing matches right now? And that's what happened. You know, The Miz interfered. And so there was an excuse and LA Knight was kind of smiling in a way to facially, visually let people know like, okay, I didn't actually lose that match. That was the Miz. That was the Miz's fault. And what we should be focusing on is the story with LA Knight and the Miz going forward, which I agree with. And I think that's what people are doing. I don't think this is a catastrophe by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, you know, I do think that Probably it could have been more constructive to get there in a place that didn't end with an L.A. Knight loss. And I remember going, well, then how do you do that without making L.A. Knight the number one contender? I would say don't have him involved in a United States championship number one contender. I mean, I get it, right? Because it, it gets people to be on his side. They want him to win because they want him to be a champion. But I don't know. I, I, I was just stuck on the loss. I was like, this this feels like you're letting the air out of the balloon. And there's only so much of these you can do. And I think you got to be careful, you know, because I think for the elongation of the rivalry, the idea of LA Knight losing to The Miz is not unfathomable at all. And I don't even think it would be a bad thing. But I think LA Knight should have a string of wins 
before he gets to The Miz if he's going to lose. Now, if he's going to beat The Miz, I guess ultimately it doesn't matter. But you you want to go in, you don't want to go into an LA Knight situation where people are like, I mean, I like him, but he loses. He's probably going to lose this one because people will lose interest in, and I don't think you want that. Um, I'll tell you what people didn't lose interest in. Oh, not at all. Leatherface attacking AEW Dynamite. Did we see this on Dynamite? So, I mean, look, Texas Chainsaw Massacre game came out over the weekend and it got exposure amongst wrestling fans. That's for sure. Although, you know, because the whole world was talking about uh, their opinion on Leatherface making an appearance on AEW Dynamite. And there were a lot of people that were like, hey, man, it's good for the movie. I think they weren't promoting a movie. They were promoting a game based on a movie. It was about the game. So I'm talking about uh, Jeff Jarrett versus, it's funny, I put in my notes, Jeff Jarrett versus Jeff Hardy. But I was so distracted, I put Jeff Jeff Jarrett versus Leatherface in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre death match. It was Jeff Jarrett versus Jeff Hardy in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre death match. And look, AEW decided to lean all the way into this thing. And on some level, I appreciate it. It was so kitschy, so insanely kitschy that you were like, this can't be real life. So the match starts with Jeff Hardy. First of all, he came to the ring with like a leather face flesh over his face, which I like that. I don't have any problem with that. But Jeff Jarrett doesn't come out. So Jeff Hardy searches for Jeff Jarrett in this. This is a death match. Texas Chainsaw Massacre death match, which they probably shouldn't have called it a death match because it wasn't a death match. It was Texas Chainsaw Massacre match. But... He goes through the, 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 the back of the arena. And for some reason, in the back of whatever the arena they were in, it's the set of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like the wall from the butcher room in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is actually in the arena, which, yeah, I still logically don't know where that fits in, but, but it was a themed match, right? You had... Uh, 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 Sanjay and Satnam Singh and, and Ethan Page and Matt Hardy, the whole Hardy gang and the whole Jarrett gang, all together, Jay Lethal, all together, but they were all wearing like Texas Chainsaw Massacre garb, right? Or at least I think it was. Like Satnam Singh felt more like he had a bit of a deliverance vibe with that, uh, with those overalls on. But I mean, I'm sure people in Texas wear overalls and Texas is where the Chainsaw Massacre took place. So, you know, I get what he was going for. So uh, they're going after each other. And uh, like I said, they're somehow in the living room of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's still the arena. Uh, A bucket of of blood gets poured on the head of Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett. Uh, They end up going all the way back to the ring. Uh, All parties are involved. uh, Private parties involved. Everybody is, Ethan Page is in there. It's just a multi- man match happening and it looks like Jeff Hardy's going to get the advantage but then Leatherface himself the villain from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series uh shows up and comes down the aisle yes Leatherface with the mask on and the suit it's it's Leatherface from the end of the film he's got his blazer on he's got the right tie on it looked cool I'm a big Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan and he's swinging the saw around and everything and the the implication I didn't I guess I might have missed some of the promos leading up to this match but the implication was that uh, Jeff Jarrett said that Leatherface was going to be in his corner. But then Leatherface started going after Jeff Jarrett's people and started chasing Karen Jarrett, almost like the end of 
Wild with Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And he and he chased Karen Jarrett to the back, but that distracted Jeff Hardy. But then Jeff Jarrett wasn't really able to take advantage, or it distracted Jeff Hardy. And Satnam Singh came in with his overalls on and was going to attack Jeff Hardy, but then Jeff Hardy got the better of him. But then Jay Lethal snuck up behind him and hit him with a sledgehammer, like in that movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then Jeff Jarrett got the pin. And then in victory, he held up the Leatherface championship title. It was a championship belt with Leatherface's face on the main plate. I mean, look, we are living in an era where our wrestling shows are going to get sponsored. And there are going to be creative hits and creative misses. Um, I think that uh, sometimes you can weave it into the point where you can kind of make it make sense. I think the Mountain Dew match kind of made sense. I think the like the zombie lumberjack match is probably the other like the the far end of the spectrum one way. And then I wonder what's the far end of the spectrum the other way where it just really really works. I mean, the Slim Jim Battle Royal was very very non-offensive and also resulted in the winner being the new Slim Jim advertiser LA Knight. So I mean that 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 was a good direction. Most of the sponsorships at WrestleMania, I think, were good. A uh, little distracting to have Dancing Cinnamon Toast Crunches running around while Rey Mysterio and Dominic are are trying to sort out whatever whatever they've got going on. But ultimately, Rey versus Dominic might have been my favorite match of WrestleMania last year. So I guess that Cinnamon Toast Crunch match was great. Um, you know, you never know. Sometimes these sponsorships matches are going to, they seem like they're not good, but they end up being good, you know? People thought the golden egg thing was ridiculous. Remember the golden egg thing? That was uh, the Netflix sponsorship and they and they got the golden egg involved and, and somebody had stolen the golden egg from Mr. McMahon's office and then Mr. McMahon found out that Austin Theory had stolen the golden egg. Well, people were like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Get our sponsorships off our wrestling show. But ultimately, really, Austin Theory getting busted with the golden egg was what, gave Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, the shining toward Austin Theory, led to Mr. McMahon putting Austin Theory under his wing, led all the way to Mr. McMahon choosing Austin Theory as Pat McAfee's opponent at WrestleMania 38, which, if you look back far enough, led to Austin Theory as the performer that he is now, not only his whole selfie run, but his post-selfie run, deciding it's time to become a man and wrestling John Cena at WrestleMania. So ultimately, the golden egg thing was the launching pad for the character that Austin Theory portrays now. So that turned out to be a good thing. Um, you know, I, I look, I don't think like, it's interesting that, that, for AEW to be an alternative alternative and do something that feels so much like not an alternative uh, is there. I think there's probably ways to do this where you put more AEW in and a little less Texas Chainsaw Massacre in. And I think people who don't like AEW will forever use this moment. Like, you know, RoboCop was trending on Twitter. So, you know, the, 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 the point that Leatherface comes out, I don't think this is why people watch AEW. AEW as a, as a company may be trying to expand what the product is. 
and become a company that can bring in advertisers like this. And ultimately, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we want wrestling to get bigger. We want more eyes on it. We want more dollars put into it. We want we want uh, the show to get bigger and bigger and more successful and more successful. Um, I, 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 I do think that these sponsored uh, segments on the show, we need to zero in on what the real creative is going to be. And if the emphasis is on telling the story that you're trying to tell week to week or, you know, uh, uh, just shilling whatever it is that we're shilling. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, look, it was a very dramatic week for AEW. It's a, it's a big time for AEW, you know? All In is, is, is less than a week away. And congratulations, 80,700 tickets have been sold for uh, the biggest, uh, in terms of attendance, show in the history of AEW. Now, people say, like, honestly, the original All In will probably always be the biggest show in the history of AEW because it was the proving ground for AEW. Just like you could argue that the biggest show, like WrestleMania, might be a bigger show than WrestleMania 3 in the sense that it showed... This is what wrestling is. More people were at WrestleMania 3. More money was made at WrestleMania 3. Bigger is such a, 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 a open to interpretation word. But it is, uh, in terms of sheer ticket sales and, and, and money from those tickets, by far the biggest show AEW has ever done. One of the biggest shows in the history of wrestling. And... Um, and we find out this week as as the match card is being formed that uh, Samoa Joe versus CM Punk is official. And I think that uh, as wrestling fans, first things first, it would serve as well to step out of the gossip and even go back 10 years and tell yourself from 10 years ago, hey, we're going to get to see CM Punk versus Samoa Joe in front of 80,000 people in Wembley Stadium in 2023. That's just a cool thing. As a wrestling fan, you know, put everything else aside. That's a cool thing. It's a super cool thing. It is being distracted by uh, so much of the rumors and gossip that are floating around AEW. You know, we saw the golden vampire reveal himself as CM Punk, and that's how the match was made official on Collision. But, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like the the internet has really taken a hold of what the narrative is uh, going into this show. And I guess that leads us to This Week in CM Punk, one of our great segments here on Not Sam Wrestling. This Week in CM Punk. Every week there's more gossip and more gossip and more gossip. It's just so dramatic to the point where This Week in CM Punk has become uh, somewhat of a necessity. <laughs> Not Sam Wrestling. Um, look, man, uh, This Week in CM Punk, the what's really gotten me right is and you go through all the gossip that we've read right and and if you want to get all the details on what's being reported i didn't say on what actually happened because we don't have those details but the details on what actually is being reported there are 150,000 other videos and and news articles quote-unquote news articles about uh all of that okay but all you know there every day this week or last week it was, it was, uh, CM Punk won't allow this person at Collision. CM Punk, this person came to Collision and CM Punk made them go home. This person came to Collision and maybe CM Punk 
didn't make them go home, but somebody made them go home because they were worried CM Punk would be upset. And that person and this person and, and CM Punk was yelling at Jungle Boy and CM Punk didn't let the talent relations guy and CM Punk and Christopher did. And you're just like, why is all of this going on? Meanwhile, poor AEW is dealing with a real legal problem with Cash Wheeler getting taken to court over charges of uh, 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 having a handgun and a road rage incident and all this. Now, he's going to be it all in. You know, he was uh, he went to court. He pled not guilty. Maybe he is not guilty as he pled innocent until proven guilty. And he'll go to trial at, at some point, but it won't be before all in. That's for sure. So he'll be at all in. We're seeing FTR versus the young bucks again in front of 80,000 people. This is a good thing, but I mean, my biggest takeaway from all of this stuff this week in CM Punk and AEW and all the drama is you've got to ask yourself how much of what we're doing and not me and you, I'm talking about the people that are in wrestling companies. How much of what is happening is due to pettiness and how much is actually good for furthering not just business, but the business. One of the, one of the pillars, and maybe I'm naive, but one of the pillars of professional wrestling as is the case with many businesses outside of professional wrestling, is the best thing you can do is leave it in a better place than it was when you got there. That's just a rule of life. Leave things better than they were when you got there. So when you are there, are you acting in a way that is honest and important and and furthering what is good for your company and the industry or are things happening out of pettiness? And I'm not just talking about what's being reported in the stories. I'm talking about the stories being reported in general. Everybody. I don't think any of us have a place that are not there to think that we know who's at fault for anything. I think that that if if people are are being kept off of shows out of spite that could make the shows better or people's travel schedules are being made to be more complicated because they're being flown into places and then being flown out of places out of spite. I don't think that that's a good thing to do. I don't think that's good for business, but I also don't think as much that is leaking out of companies should be leaking out of companies. You know, I, I, I really wonder sometimes, and I'm not talking about stuff that's important, right? I think that the fact that there are people who report on what's going on in the wrestling industry is a very important thing, as is the case with every industry. I think that it holds people accountable and I think that that is a very good thing. I think that it can give people a voice when they don't have one. And I think that that is a very important thing. I think that when you are 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 uh, negotiating a deal or 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 a company is is uh, creating a narrative about you, 
it's important to have a way to get your story out to other sources and to have those sources there to push that story. I think that that's all really important. But what I also think is important is, is the story that I'm telling, a website, a reporter, a dirt sheet writer, is it something that is actually good for the business? Is it something that is going to improve the situation for me and for my coworkers? Or is it just something I'm doing out of spite? I think that it seems because every, I, I read the most insane stories and it says one source is telling us a lot of people are upset about this. One source is telling us a lot of people are upset about that. Oh, the locker room is upset that the card hasn't been flushed out. Oh, the locker room is upset that, that this person wasn't allowed in that place. Oh, the locker room is upset that stories about this person are getting leaked. The locker... Who is telling all these stories and, and why? Why are these stories that don't really do anything other than be destructive? Why are they getting out? Why are, 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 you, are people going to news reporters and telling stories about a company that are only meant to be destructive? If, if, if you're getting information out there that should get out there because it's going to make your workplace better or more fair or because it's a truth that is not getting out there that you want to make sure that people know about because it changes the perspective of what's going on, then that's a positive, right? And hopefully in, in the long term, you can understand where that's something that would benefit everybody involved. But if it's just out of vindictiveness or it's just like, oh, I'm so fed up with this place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell so-and-so that so-and-so is doing so-and-so. Oh, yeah, me and my friends are annoyed by this. So I'm going to tell this guy that, that a lot of people are annoyed by this. To what end? To what end? Ask to what end? Because I feel like I read reports now where... To what end is, well, there's a vendetta here. Well, I'm annoyed. Well, I don't like this. Okay. Is that going to help things long-term? Is, 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 is what's going on here going to help or hurt long-term? Because, I mean, if a place looks bad enough for long enough, it's just going to make it tougher for people in the industry to find spots to work. I, I feel like all of us who work around wrestling and, and, and who are either in the wrestling business or on the periphery of the wrestling business, I consider myself on the periphery of the wrestling business. Every I try to do things in whatever small way that I can do to make things better, not to destroy. And I hope that no matter how, how big or small your, your position is, even as a fan, that you're acting in a way to make things better. To be honest, to be critical when it's time to be critical and to praise when it's time to praise, but ultimately that the true goal inside is 
to make everything better for all of us to enjoy what we enjoy. Because otherwise, <laughs> I don't know what the goal is. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of people enjoying what's going on right now because not only do we have tickets over there at the 80,000 mark, but in one day, 90,000 tickets sold for WrestleMania is what's being reported over two nights, of course. WrestleMania, two nights in Philadelphia. One day, tickets were on sale and $21 million worth of tickets, over $21 million, apparently, uh, sold 90,000. Still more tickets on sale, but Philadelphia is going to be insane for WrestleMania. And you have to wonder uh, how much, right? Because I feel like a lot of us fans have been operating under this idea that, well, it's gonna be Cody and Roman at WrestleMania 40. We're at least fully prepared for the idea of Roman being the defending champion still at WrestleMania 40. So when all those tickets are sold, is it, yeah, you know, I I, I, I want to see Roman lose the title. I want to see Roman defend the title. Or is it none of that? Is, 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 is it just the fact that, man, WWE is smoking red hot right now? WrestleMania 39 was awesome. WrestleMania 38 was awesome. WrestleMania 40 is going to be even more awesome and everything has been great. Is 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 it just speak? I personally think that it's speaking to the overall product, to the fact that so much of what's going on in the WWE right now is over in the sense that it's interesting, that it's capturing people's attention, that people care about what's happening with the Judgment Day. People care about what's happening with Seth Rollins. People care about what's happening with Cody Rhodes. People care about what's happening with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. People care about the bloodline. People care about Sheamus and Gunther, Rey Mysterio, L.A. Knight, yeah, all of it. And WrestleMania really does become the culmination of all of that. You know, I, I personally feel like WrestleMania is the ultimate metric for where the WWE is as a product right now. And... Selling 90,000 tickets in a day and making $21 million would probably let you know that as a product, WWE is in extraordinarily good shape. Speaking of WrestleMania, there was a WrestleMania moment that I really want to address before we get into the news and notes and then the emails here on Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, Game Changer Wrestling, GCW, did their uh, homecoming shows over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday on Fight Plus. Uh, they did uh, GCW homecoming from Atlantic City. And uh, one of the featured matches, the opener for night one, featured uh, mixed tag action. Steph DeLander and Matt Cardona, who have been here on Not Sam Wrestling before, taking on Maki Ito. And Nick Gage, Nick Gage, who has also been here on Not Sam Wrestling before, but, and it was, uh, this one was a death match. There were buckets of blood uh, all over the ring. Uh, but this time they weren't uh, buckets that were poured onto anybody. They were buckets that were drenched from the four participants in the match, specifically Matt Cardona and Steph DeLander. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking light tubes, pizza cutters, thumbtacks, 
buckets of blood, and ultimately, all anybody was talking about in this match was Ecto-1. Matt Cardona and Steph DeLander came in as the deathmatch busters. They had a, their own song produced for it. Who are you going to call? Deathmatch Busters. A parody of the Ghostbusters song. And at this warehouse in Atlantic City, they drove a legit Ecto-1 into the warehouse. Okay, this is GCW. It looked like a GCW show. But for this entrance, WrestleMania rained down on Game Changer Wrestling. And Matt Cardona and Steph DeLander stepped out of that Ecto-1 in full, like, Ghostbusters coveralls with the sleeves cut off and Deathmatch Busters logos stamped on the back. And they did their entrance and then they got on the mic and they said they didn't want to have a death match. They wanted a sports entertainment match. Get those light tubes out of the ring. I mean, the whole thing was so brilliant. And and the the it was a great card, right? Not only was there their their blood and, and knives and thumbtacks and everything you could imagine in this opening tag match, but throughout the card, there was carnage, but also great wrestling and also high flying and, and, and everything you could come to expect. But ultimately, what went everywhere was Matt Cardona and Steph DeLander driving into a warehouse in Atlantic City in an Ecto-1 automobile, in an indie show with an original song, with original gear on. I mean, putting so much money into that presentation, but it was worth it. Because when you look at that, you go, this is wrestling, right? You hear that chant, that chant that echoes through arenas when, when fast-paced matches are happening or hard-hitting matches are happening. This is wrestling. This is wrestling. Well, that's the chant that should be going through during the entrance, before a bell rings before SDL and Cardona even get in the ring. This is wrestling. That's pro wrestling. It's making the world talk. It's, it's giving people a reason to be interested. People look at that, the entrance, a car pulling in. And I saw the tweets. Why aren't I watching more GCW? Cody Rhodes, quote tweeted, my tweet showing the entrance and said, man, he's good. Talking about broski. That's what, this, that's what wrestling is, dude. That level of showmanship, that level of care. I was talking about it earlier. You want to say, what do we do to push things to the next level? What do we do to make this place better for everyone? We don't get petty. We don't have to do dirt sheet weirdness. We go so far above and beyond what's asked or expected that it makes the whole world take notice. You had no choice but to take notice and enjoy what was happening when that entrance happened. And the level of commitment that Broski and SDL had 
to that entrance. I mean, it was so very special and and so good for wrestling. It's exactly, that is wrestling. That's it. That's it. That's where you grab your buddy from the next room that doesn't watch and go, you got to see this. And then you show them the death match after to contextualize how great the entrance was. That ultimately, to me, that whole match where those four people are busting ass and putting it all on the line for us, to me, really just acts to contextualize how great that entrance was in this arena. This is what people are paying to see, a deathmatch war. And you drove an Ecto-1 into a warehouse for it? Like it's, it's, when you like think about it on a character level, it's like delusional that this Matt Cardona character is so obsessed with being a wrestling superstar that he has no clue where he is. It goes deep, man. It goes deep. But in reality, they're bringing a level of storytelling to, to the indies. The likes of which we have, we very rarely see. Such a beautiful thing. And, and, and it's something that I deeply appreciate in terms of, 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 paying it forward and and doing things that make wrestling better. Uh, and I know that sounds silly. Driving an Ecto-1 into a GCW show, that makes wrestling better? Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because it brings pro wrestling. Here's why it makes wrestling better. Because it, it brings showmanship, storytelling, and re traditional pro wrestling into this deathmatch world that has been so shunned by so many. Oh, that deathmatch stuff. Ooh, no, no. That's that that's that 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 backyard garbage wrestling. Well, what if we brought WrestleMania to the backyard and brought all those eyes over there and made everybody realize that it's all wrestling. It's all one thing. We're all doing the same thing. And not only that, but driving that car in acts to normalize what so many people, I believe, misunderstand in the deathmatch world. But also, that is what those performers are doing to put eyes on another product. There is nothing that Matt Cardona and Steph DeLander could do more to get attention onto GCW and the independents as a whole. And as a performer... If you can use your platform to get as much attention on where you are, not only is that good for you because it's going to make you more valuable, but it's going to make that place more valuable. It's going to make that place more viable. So if that place is acting in a righteous way and in a way that's good for wrestling, it starts to create even more places where people can go to be full-time professional wrestlers and develop and become talented and, and, and create in new ways under this wonderful medium of wrestling. I am, am going so heady and artsy on this show today. I didn't know it was coming, but, but this is where we're at. I'm bearing my wrestling soul 
inside this wrestling bubble known as Not, Not Sam Wrestling today. And I hope you're enjoying it. Let's go to news and notes. Huh? First of all, we had uh, Santos Escobar and Rey Mysterio on uh, Grayson Waller effect. I do hope that we're teasing uh, uh, Santos uh, turning on Rey, even though Santos specifically said he wasn't turning on Rey. That's what he would say, even if he was going to turn on Rey. You know what I mean? So if that's the direction that they're going in, I think that's the right direction. Uh, I think it'll be good for Santos. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we've got Jimmy Uso returning to SmackDown next week. So we had a SmackDown without the bloodline, uh, which is a risky thing. All we got was that Paul Heyman promo. Uh, but, you know, having Edge's 25th anniversary and potential rumored retirement thing, uh, I think probably helped quite a bit. Uh, and then also released, or I don't know if released or just contract expired, Lacey Evans, it would appear, no longer part of the WWE. I read an article. She's going to open a cafe, but I guess she let her contract expire. I don't think that she was released. I think her contract just ended, and either she opted not to renew or whatever it was. Contract's up. Lacey Evans, uh, it would appear for now at least, done with the WWE. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where she lands. Uh, very talented performer. And, uh, you know, somebody who really was able to go old school with her character, like adopt a real character when that's when Lacey Evans, the sort of Southern belle uh, came to the main roster. So we'll see. We'll see what happens to Lacey Evans. It's, it's, it's difficult, especially uh, when you still got a lot in the tank to just walk away from the world of professional wrestling. It doesn't happen very often. So we'll see what happens. Uh, let's, get into one of the uh, beloved segments here on Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, of course, the email segment. If you want to email us, uh, you can email notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Notsamwrestling at gmail.com is our email address. In the meantime, don't forget to leave us a, a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel, Not Sam Wrestling, and hit like on the video. You can also, uh, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you're subscribed. If you're on Spotify, leave a rating. If you're on Apple, leave a review and a rating. Uh, I would really, really appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Michael in North Carolina. Sam, he wrote to notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Sam, first time, long time. Recently, I was in a heated debate with a friend. He suggested that Priest cashing in on Gunther and becoming the intercontinental champion would be a worse outcome than if Priest cashed in on Seth <laughs> but lost. He was adamant that it would hurt the credibility of the Money in the Bank briefcase. What are your thoughts? Uh, sounds familiar. I think that is a foolish argument. I think that uh, the idea, look, I would, first of all, anybody cashing in and winning versus cashing in and losing, cashing in and winning is always going to be better. I don't care if you're cashing in for the 24-7 title. That's better than cashing in and losing for the world title. I hate it when people cash in and lose. I understand it's got to happen rarely just because, you know, you never know. But I think for me, the best part about the Money in the Bank briefcase is you know the winner's getting the title and it could happen at any time. I like that as a storytelling device. Uh, but here's the thing. 
there was a time where I would say cashing in on the Intercontinental Champion would not do the briefcase service, but that time is not now. Gunther is as dominant a champion as we've seen as far as the Intercontinental title goes ever. And as far as any title goes, it's rare air. I mean, we happen to be living in a period of time where the Universal Champion is also a dominant and for in his case, over a thousand day champion. But but Gunther is about to hit his own record. Gunther is about to be the longest reigning intercontinental champion of all time. Gunther is beating guys like Drew McIntyre at pay-per-views. I mean, I think that that Gunther is Gunther comes across as unbeatable. So I think that using the briefcase to sneak up on Gunther and get the title from him lends credibility to the briefcase. It allows you to beat the unbeatable. And I certainly don't think that that would be the case if you cashed into on Seth and lost. That, I mean, I don't understand the sense of that at all. Personally, if it's one or the other, I want to see Damian Priest cash in and beat Seth because the idea of Damian Priest as the world champion is like this mind-blowing, like, oh my God, this briefcase really does make the impossible happen. But if he cashed in and beat Gunther, that's also the impossible happening. Nobody beats Gunther. Uh, Luke from Maryland. Sam, love the pod. Thanks for everything. I want to pitch this idea uh, for Randy or Kidding, we should all know better than that by now. I would hope so. If you watch the product, which is one of the pillars, and you don't speculate, well, you can speculate wildly. You just can't fantasy book Randy Orton. This is what we do. We watch the product, then we speculate wildly. We don't fantasy book Randy Orton. It's very simple. But in all reality, is what Luke writes, how would you compare Cena versus Punk 2011 Money in the Bank to Roman and Sammy in Montreal this past year? And which crowd would you say was hotter? Uh, Cena versus Punk is one of my all-time favorite matches. I feel that atmosphere was different than what we had seen in recent memory at the time. Yeah, look, Cena versus Punk is very different. Um, I think Roman versus Sammy, the chaos felt organized in the sense that what brought us here is great storytelling. Cena versus Punk, it felt like insane chaos. Like you have no idea what they're planning on pulling off here. I mean, the pipe bomb was an industry shattering incident at the time. This stuff wasn't happening in 2011 WWE. So that being the context for this match happening, it, it, it wasn't just the hometown guy versus the unbeatable champion. It had nothing to do with that. It was CM Punk versus the entire system. CM Punk versus the entire WWE and the real life story that it had taken to get there. So I think they're very, very, very different. I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't compare them at all. Sammy was in his hometown. Punk was in his hometown. They were both world championship matches. Other than that, I don't think there's any similarities whatsoever to tell you the truth. Uh, Avery says, uh, uh, Hey Sam, first of all, RIP to last week's email segment. Uh, I think edge is going to go to AEW for a little while because of the Hardys, FTR and Christian, maybe even the young bucks. But what do you think? I already talked about that. Obviously I'm already talking about edge. Kyle Robertson, Sam, what's your favorite surprise Royal Rumble entrant? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, uh, I thought Mr. Perfect coming out in, I want to say, 
what was that, 2002, maybe, was uh, super fun. Um, yeah, this feels like 2002. Uh, I loved when Diesel returned in the 2000s. I thought that was super fun. Um, hmm. I mean, Edge in 2020 is pretty great. Hard to beat Edge coming out in 2020, that reaction, and being there live for it. Maybe my favorite. I'm a big Edge fan. Uh, Adam writes, uh, hey, Sam, huge fan and started listening to your show at Mania, since Mania 39. See, I love that. I love the new people. I love the people that have been here. I love my day one issues. I love my day one issues. And day one issues mean, you know, even if you started listening like three years ago, you're still kind of a day one because it's day one-ish. It's not day one-ish. It's day one-ish, right? So if you've been around since day one-ish, I love you. But I also think it's so much fun. There are new people coming on board all the time. I appreciate it, Adam. Uh, I'm a big fan of Imperium, and I think Gunther is going to be a huge main event star. But I can't help but think of Ludwig Kaiser lately. He seems to be a great heel with the way he talks and that heel look he has. I think in the future, he could be a very good solo heel. You said heel a lot in this email. What are your thoughts on him? Maybe once he goes single, he can feud with Randy Orton. Just kidding. I won't betray the three rules of not Sam wrestling. Well, not in this email. Never betray them in life. Never in life. Should you not watch the product? Should you not speculate wildly? Or should you? Fantasy book, Randy Orton. Uh, Ludwig Kaiser, I'm a huge fan of. If you go back, I'll tell you what, when uh, I was like, oh, this dude is dangerous. It was actually my interview with him at uh, WrestleMania 38. Uh, you can go to the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel here and uh, look up uh, my interview with Imperium. All three of them, uh, Giovanni Vinci, Ludwig Kaiser and Gunther. And uh, uh, yeah, his uh, natural charisma surprised me. Um, I think he only gets better. I think he's great in the ring. But I also just think that like, you believe that character. I think that he looks unflappable when he's doing what he's doing on a microphone. Uh, the ring general. I can't do it as good as Corey Graves does it. So why try? My <coughs> already screwed up my throat. Um, yeah, no, I think he's awesome. I think he's really, really good. I think that he could be very, very interesting as a solo act. Um, okay. Another Randy Orton joke. I got you, Kanjay. Sam, just wondering, shouldn't rule three also apply to Bray Wyatt, who is out for a long time? Why just Randy Orton? Uh, also, uh, do you think my about my question from last week, what in wrestling is beloved that you hate? I don't know yet. Uh, Bray Wyatt, uh, it's because Randy Orton gets speculated upon so much, right? Bray Wyatt doesn't get speculated upon quite so much, but it's just, it's, people just casually throw it in, right? Because the Randy Orton thing, that's why it drives me crazy, because people just throw it in. It's like, oh, uh, and then what for Roman? You know what I mean? You go like, well, what are you, you going to do with Cody after he beats Brock Lesnar? What about Randy Orton? What about Randy Orton? He's injured. Why do you keep saying that stuff? Still, it'd be good. Oh, shut up. I can't have this conversation. Uh, Ultra Boy writes in, is there any title reign you would rebook? For example, Edge's first title reign. That's too way too complicated, Ultra Boy. I'll have to sit here and think about that. Michael Perry, uh, love the show and your positive take on everything going on in wrestling today. My question for you is, which of these former world champs would uh, 
hold the title again before their careers are over. Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Miz, Bobby Lashley, Kofi Finn, Bray, or Big E. One of those people? You just listed all of them. Why couldn't you just give me three? And you go, which of these three would you pick? Only one between Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Miz, Bobby Lashley, Kofi, Finn, Bray Wyatt, Big E. That's 10 guys. You're saying out of those 10 guys, only one could have another reign as champion? I probably gave it to Drew McIntyre because I felt like he got screwed on, on, on his big one. So I guess I give it to Drew, but I'd feel bad for the other nine guys. There's too many guys. The list is ridiculous. Uh, ben writes in, uh, I know the storyline was seemingly finished at WrestleMania 39, but with Dominic holding the North American title and Ray holding the United States title, what's your thoughts on a potential rematch between the two? Uh, I mean, I... We could potentially see Dominic finally getting that singles win over his dad. I don't think it, it for what, for what I, I, you know, I, I don't like it. I don't think it's necessary. We got it. The, we got the story. We got the storybook ending. Dominic isn't doing without he's bigger than he ever has been. I don't think that he grows exponentially by beating Rey Mysterio. I don't think there's any reason for that at this point. So, well, yeah, no, I don't I don't know why that would happen. You know, I I, I don't see how anybody benefits from it, to tell you the truth. Uh Nicholas, can we please take a minute to acknowledge the greatness of Chad Gable? He is incredible. Good email. So good in the ring. So funny on the mic. He blows my mind every Monday. I hope it'll win the IC title. Uh, but not on the first try. Let Gunther beat the record, then maybe drop the belt to Chad at Survivor Series. You'd be okay with that? No, I don't want to see... I don't think Chad's Gable's at the point right now where he should be the one to beat Gunther. I mean, Gunther just beat Sheamus at WrestleMania. I, yeah, he pinned... I don't remember. He won the triple threat against Sheamus and Drew McIntyre. Like, he just beat Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. I think Chad Gable would have to be at this point where fans are going, oh, this is the man. Chad Gable is my guy. And then if Chad Gable's the one to beat Gunther, then he beats Gunther. I think right now it's not about beating Gunther for Chad Gable. It's about the Gable-Gunther matches just being absolute classics so that even when Gable loses, he comes out better for it. And I, I, could, I think that's the way it's going to go, and that's the way it should go. Uh, Michael, is there a referee to have ever done it better than Lil Nate himself, Charles Robinson? Be tough. Maybe, maybe Eddie or Matt Bennett. I don't know. One of the Jersey All-Pro guys. No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Lil Nature's is like, and he's still doing it? It's incredible. Uh, oh, oh, hit the wrong button, I guess. Uh, Matt says, unless I'm missing a combination, I believe uh, Ray and Dom Mysterio are the first father and son to hold singles championships in WWE at the same time. You think WWE should not? No, 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 no. Ray and Dom stay away from each other. They're on two separate brands, even though Dom is everywhere because he's the man. No, there's no reason for it. There's no, all, it diminishes Dom at this point. No, no. Dom has an NXT championship. It allows him to be in NXT, to get eyeballs on that product, but to get himself more time in the ring. Ray is doing his thing with the United States championship. Give him a minute with Santos Escobar. Don't bury Santos. 
so that you could do more with Ray and Dom. We already did. We did so much with Ray and Dom. The whole, we did eight months of Ray and Dom. No, no more Ray and Dom for now. In the future, I'm not saying never again, but no, no, no. Matt writes in, I'll admit it. After 45 years of watching wrestling, I almost turned away when Jim said the words, I did it for you, Jay. But then I listened to your last podcast. Ooh, I love where this is going. And you said you were going to simply wait and see what happened. So I decided to wait as well. And that gave me time to think about the angle where Rikishi ran down Stone Cold for The Rock. And I thought, what a great parallel. No, 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 no. For the Usos to mirror those same words as their father said so long ago. How great is that? It's not great. It's not great. And I'll tell you, no, I this started so good. And I don't like this email anymore. Because Rikishi saying, I did it for The Rock was like awful. It was terrible. It was a terrible storyline. It was a terrible payoff. It wasn't well thought out. It was just like, okay, let's make Rikishi a bad guy and make it Rikishi. It wasn't good at all. So no, I don't think to draw that parallel to be like, you know what? I thought Jimmy Uso saying, uh, I did it for you was bad. Uh, but then I remembered that his dad said that in another very bad storyline. So maybe it's good. That's not how that works. Two wrongs don't make a right. I go back to what I said, either, I, I want to say last week on the podcast, which is it's rooted in Jimmy's own selfishness, insecurity, and jealousy. And that this is this, and that Jimmy is ultimately a heel for this. But if you think it's it's like Rikishi when he ran over Stone Cold for the rock, then maybe this is bad. <laughs> Besides that. It turned out that it wasn't even Rikishi to begin with. It was it, Triple H was the one who set it all up. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan writes in, just curious about your thoughts on why WWE has insisted on keeping Seth and Roman away from each other. I think because there's a, 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 a huge story to tell. I think Roman Seth is the only guy that Roman has never beaten. And I think that there is still this version of the story where Seth is the guy to beat Roman Reigns. I don't think that that there's nobody else, right? Like, like... Why wouldn't you save Roman and Seth? Why would you not keep them away from each other until you're ready to finally pull that trigger? There's nobody in the company that's got more history, real history that we've lived through if we've been watching long enough between each other than Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. The reason why Roman Reigns is so hurt when people betray him, like Sami Zayn, ultimately is because of what Seth Rollins did to him when the Shield broke up. He's never been able to beat Seth Rollins. I mean, you know, I, I think that they keep them away because they know they've got gold sitting right there and there's no reason to squander it. Just let it continue to, what happened when you got gold, right? Some people choose to spend it immediately. Other people realize that gold generally only increases in value. So if you put it away until you really want to use it or need to use it, it's only going to get more and more valuable. And that's Roman and Seth. Uh, this might be the last email. Uh, Josh writes in, last week I wrote saying, I don't understand the hype for LA Knight. Yeah. Uh, then this week he kicks off SmackDown by challenging Austin Theory with the winner to face Ray for the US title. Fans are going nuts. They finally, the time for LA Knight to come out on top and he gets a title. I mean, I talked about this. Uh, Eventually, but dangling this moment is brilliant. I don't know if it's brilliant. Um, I'm going to go to this email instead. 
Uh, and no, that was not because your email was bad, but because if I'm going to, it's not the right email to end on because I already talked about it. It was a good email. It's not the right email to end on. Uh, Carrie writes in, I'm a new listener to the podcast and also a fan of the WWE New Generation era. You're the best, Carrie. Recently, I became a fan of the Joshi, Joshi Company Stardom Wrestling. Great. Asuka recently used Twitter to criticize both Stardom and the Japanese media. I would love to see an EO Sky and Asuka feud based both on the current title situation and their past with EO being a former Stardom ace and Asuka's recent post about the company. Ah... Uh, what do you think about this? I think I'm, this isn't going to be the last email. I'm going to go one more email, but, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know enough about Oscar's criticisms towards stardom. I believe they have mentioned stardom in the past. Um, but if Oscar's criticisms are real, she may not want them as part of a storyline. Um, and also, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much, room there is to grow off of that you know I, I i would have to hear more about what the idea is before i jump down with that but i i don't i don't know if it's doing it for me um okay here's uh no that's a chad gable one we already did a chad gable one uh here we go what cemented flair is the goat hi sam i'm rewatching 2004 wwe uh, I, uh, this is from Daniel. I just watched a segment where Randy Orton spits in the face of Harley Race, and it made me think of Starcade 1983. My question to you would be, do you think Evolution helped cement Flair as the GOAT, or should have, should he have protected his character more in his older years? No, I mean, I, I think, I think Flair was the GOAT before Evolution. I think Evolution reminded people that he was the goat. I think that I think that most people knew Flair was the goat uh even when he was not having his best years towards the end of WCW. But I think I think what cemented Flair as the goat was probably even just coming into WWE and his whole first run there. I think, you know, the fact that he was the uh the the co-owner of WWE and part of the brand split in the beginning and in charge of what was it raw and leading to flair versus McMahon and, and going on and on all the way up to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it was evolution so much as that whole WWE run ending with the Shawn Michaels match. I think that was, you know, there's no going back from that, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I kind of think flair was cemented as the goat. Like honestly, like in the 1980s, you know, I, I, I think, I, I, I think, I think by the time he, 1992 hit, by the time he won that Royal Rumble in 1992, you kind of knew he was the GOAT. You kind of knew. And anybody that had been watching kind of knew. You know, I, I think even his, because to me, his post-WWE run going back to WCW, everything after Starcade 93, right? Because Starcade 93 was incredible. Flair versus Vader. But everything after that, especially going forward with the NWO and everything, it wasn't his best stuff and he wasn't put in the best light. But 
I think he had been cemented at that point, to tell you the truth. I appreciate all you guys. Thank you for hanging out. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening or watching, leaving comments, hitting likes, hitting subscribes, hitting ratings, doing the whole thing. We'll see you soon. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you. This has been Not Sam Wrestling.